Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Hello and welcome to the next episode in the Human Centered Leadership Podcast. This podcast is designed to show you what emotional intelligence in practice can look like. We interview some of the best leaders around the world who are practicing EQ in wholly different ways, but towards the same objective. That is to help people grow, to create a culture where performance is at the very heart of everything that we do, but it comes from the people that we work with. So people-centered leadership is in essence what we are doing. And today's guest is uh, someone I'm really excited to interview, uh, Dr. Catherine uh, Murray. Um, I met uh, Catherine only a few days ago. I was keynote speaking at uh, an education awards and uh, she was one of the judges. And uh, I just heard of, you know, the first few sentences of what Catherine was saying. And I just thought to myself, I need to speak to this person because she was just outstanding. And Catherine's got 40 years experience in education. I know she doesn't look <laughs> like she's got 40 years worth of education experience. Uh, 25 years in the classroom. And then she dedicated the rest of her time and life to working at universities with new and upcoming teachers so that uh, she can share her experience and wisdom with our new teachers. She now runs a consultancy business, which she's been doing for the last six years. Her consultancy business is fascinating, and that's what I really want to focus on today. Uh, it's called Future Strong Education. What she's done is she's developed a brain set formula for classroom design to promote thinking and development for children. It's fascinating, and she's working around the world on this uh, philosophy. So, Catherine, welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast. Huge honor to have you here. Thank you. It's so nice to chat with you, Cool. And we, we did only meet a few days ago, but I, I think there's a, a lot of common ground between us. So, it's very nice to have the opportunity to, for us to have a bit of a chat now. So, thanks for inviting me. No, you're absolutely welcome. And isn't it great that uh, we literally are on the opposite sides of the planet? So, Catherine's all the way down in Australia. Uh, here we are in the UK and uh, you know when they talk about values and connecting through values it matters not distance just disappears mm. and uh, you feel like you've known each other a long time I really do feel like uh, you and I have connected and we've known each other a long time we've had a short conversation already we can see that we're on the same page what I'm really fascinated about Catherine is uh, you believe in emotional intelligence, EQ, you get it, but you're using it in a wholly different way. So for me, it's all about going into organizations and helping them to reshape their cultures, to become high performing cultures, but high trustworthy cultures as well, where people feel 
heard, seen, valued and appreciated. For you, however, is really understanding EQ from the perspective of the child. Do you want to just explain what it is that you do? Yes, thank you. And, and there are a lot of similarities with what you've just said there about being seen, valued, um, wanted, appreciated, all of those things that, that we want as an adult. Um, you know, children want the same thing. Um, so I've developed a process called the Brain Set Formula for Classroom Design and, and in that we look at brain science, we look at the needs of the brain and I spend a lot of time working with early childhood educators uh, and talking to them about how the brain develops first in utero and then how it continues to develop in the first five years of life. Um, it's the only organ in our body that isn't fully developed when we're born. So it, it, you know, the, the neurons keep multiplying and changing and depending on the experiences that we have. So in a nutshell, we have different levels of the brain and we have different regions that go across this way. So when I'm talking to the educators, I, I try and merge both of those and talk to them about how the brain develops in a young child and what the brain needs so that children can, can learn, basically. So if we set up our classroom in a way that children have that sense of safety, that they, they know that they, they're going to be safe, they can see where things are, they can build that, that confidence, well then they're going to feel, feel safe, they're going to feel as though they belong, they're going to feel valued, they're going to um, have that connection with the adults that are in the room and build those strong relationships that we know are so important and, and build those attachments to, to adults that we know affect children. You know, what, what happens in childhood affects, affects people when they're much older, when they're adults. So giving those really great foundations is just so important. Um, and for the educator to be able to use uh, some empathy and understand what the what the child is doing and what the child needs so that they can grow and develop. So when we have that sense of safety happening, we have the emotions kicking in, then children can actually think and learn and remember and problem solve and make decisions and and um, develop oral language. They can they can self-regulate, like manage their behaviors a lot more because all of these things are in alignment. That comes back to what we, what, we, what we do in the room. How we set up the room can either make or break that. I just love everything that you've said there. One thing that you talk about is, you know, how our, our thoughts in adulthood are shaped from our childhood. Mm. And it's so often the case and it's something that we very often talk about, but then we almost sort of push it aside as if there's nothing that we can do about it. But what you're actually doing is understanding this concept and saying, well, I can't turn it like that, but we can now do it for the younger generation coming through. We can create those experiences within the classroom that make them more more susceptible to uh, learning in a in, in a much more comfortable environment and you also talk about empathy uh, Catherine now mm. empathy is a common philosophy that we very often talk about particularly when it comes to emotional intelligence and I hear so many people talking about you know becoming empathic leaders but I do wonder whether everybody truly understands what empathy is now from my perspective, empathy can be something really, really simple. What are the the examples that you teach to teachers regarding empathy? What I do teach to teachers around empathy is that young children uh, can be kind, they can be sweet, they can be nice. 
but empathy that's sort of you know it, it's it's a hard concept for them to get their heads around because as the brain develops and myelination happens in the brains which this is a whole other conversation about the brain but as children's brains develop um, they are able to develop empathy because the myelination and connecting all of the dendrites and synapses and things are all is all happening and often um, empathy doesn't really happen for children until they're around six seven eight even so to expect a young child to understand the perspective of another is a really difficult thing to, to do. Children really can't do it because physically they can't do it. It's not because they're not nice or they're not good children. It's because they physically don't have the capability within their brain yet because the brain's immature. But they can be taught empathy over time, can't they? You know, some people say, well, I'm just not that kind of person. I can't learn empathy. Mm. Uh, but we can learn empathy over time, can't we? Yes, because teachers can model empathy. So so teachers, um, you know, if, if you were hurt, I, and I'm the teacher, I could say to you, oh, I'm sorry that, that you're hurt. I can see that you're upset because, I, you know, you're crying. I can see that you're really sad. That's really hurt you. So I can model empathy. But uh, children might then model it too and parrot what I say. But to actually feel empathy, it's, it's just beyond them until they get a little bit older. That's why it's really important that we have play in the younger years. Because when, when children take on the role of another, that's the closest that they can get to being empathetic. Because, you know, they step into the shoes of the doctor or the mum or the dad or the vet or whoever they're role-playing. And uh, so they need that. So they, they're practising, you know, being in the shoes of somebody else. Because that's what empathy is, isn't it? As you know, it, it's being able to, you know, be in the shoes of somebody else and see life through a perspective, someone else's perspective. And that's a really interesting way of describing how somebody can learn empathy. But that actually, we could take that example that you've used there and take that into adulthood. And, you know, some of the, the courses that you will have been on in your profession and some of the courses I've been on in my previous pr profession as a senior police officer, there was a lot of role playing involved. And actually, now I think about it, that role playing assisted me, helped me to understand things from a different perspective. And that is empathy in a conversation in a previous conversation uh, that we had you described something that you got teachers to do and i just thought it was oh yes you know, the most simplistic yet the most powerful way of uh, showing empathy yeah do you want to just share that with me sure part of uh, my brain set formula is is setting up the classroom and uh, when i work with teachers and uh, i've done this just recently uh, with a group of teachers that i've been working with here in australia and uh, I asked them to go into one of the children's rooms. It was four or five-year-old rooms. But I asked them to get down on their knees and look at the room <laughs> through the eyes of the child. And as they walked through the front door on their knees, um, there was a, a really, really high uh, shelf that had all the books on, on it. So from the adult's view, that was perfectly fine. But from a child's view, um, they couldn't see where to go after that. It was like looking at a brick wall. And that doesn't help children feel safe and secure and have confidence to know where to go because they can't see where to go. And that's something in my brain set that I call wayfinding. And it's, it's so that you can find the way, literally, so that you can see from, you know, if you're working in one learning experience, you know how to get to the next one. So it builds that confidence with, with young children. 
And, you know, we, as adults, we, we sort of have a look at this bird's eye view of the room, but we forget that they're only this tall. They're not this tall. So um, I think that's one way of getting a different perspective and and helping teachers understand that, that concept of empathy as well and, and, you know, walking in someone else's shoes like a four-year-old. <laughs> And it literally is, well, not quite literally walking in their shoes because you wouldn't fit, but is literally seeing the world from their perspective mm. in a physical way. Uh, you know, I th just think that's one of the most uh, powerful examples of empathy that I've experienced or heard about. And yet one of the most simplistic as well. So thanks very much for sharing that. I've had senior leaders saying to me, how do I learn to be more empathic? What, what does that mean? What does that even look like? You know, and here's an example, you know, just try and be in the other person's seat, in the other person's shoe from mm. the other person's perspective. Mm. So, I mean, I, you can see how emotional intelligence, you know, I, I'm really passionate about EI and EQ. And I say, you know, it really can shape our lives and shape the relationships that we have around us. You have demonstrated that if you were to apply EQ at the very earliest of life, it has impact there too. So where do you see the future of emotional intelligence or human-centered leadership going forward? As you and I have discussed, we need to start young with children. We need to model model those relationships with children. And empathy is just one aspect of the relationship, as, as you know. And having that ability to build that confidence and, and to self-regulate your emotions and, and even just to recognise your emotions um, as part of um, being an emotionally intelligent person. And then, you know, once you know how you feel, well, then you can do something about it or you can find the root cause of it and sort of move forward with that. So I think that's um, something that's really important and that's what I talk to uh, my the educators that I work with and even parents that I coach. I talk to them about okay what are you really what are you really feeling? And you know there's there's mountains of things on the on Google, you know that you can you can find, you know, different wheels with different emotions and you know a range of different emotions that you can look at. But when you're trying to, you know, um, I don't know, distill what you're actually feeling. Sometimes what you think you're feeling isn't actually what you are feeling and if we're talking Very to true. children about feelings you know if you're, if you're feeling angry is it really anger or are you disappointed or are you feeling rejected mm. or is it something else some underlying emotion and then once you get once you get to that if you're feeling rejected well oh it's because those kids didn't want to play with me or or you know no one invited me out for dinner or so, whatever it might be so it's about recognizing those emotions. So you talk about the future. I think the future is helping children identify their emotions and identifying how they're feeling um, at a young age. I completely agree with you. And I think you're absolutely right. You know, part of uh, emotional intelligence is, is understanding what emotion is and, and, and defining accurately, as accurately as you can, the emotion that you're actually going through, mm. rather than put it under these umbrella terms of anger, upset, or whatever it might be. It's really defining it in a language that resonates with you and defines that emotion and, and clarifies that emotion. And only then can you truly start to become more self-aware as well and uh, maybe manage that emotion. Um, you know, in the, in the current climate with what, uh, what the world has gone through over the last two years, you know, children have suffered uh, because, you know, they've not been to school as much as they, they, they would have been here in the United Kingdom. I don't know what 
you've done over in Australia. But for the past two years, children haven't had the normal uh, national exams that they would have gone through. They've worked on teachers' assessment. Is that similar to what's happening in Australia? Yeah, um, in some parts of Australia, it's been pretty pretty hard for a lot of people with you know children being home a lot and um, that disconnect um, from from other people and that isolation that certainly happened in the southern states of Australia but there's a lot of Australia that that um, well whilst we've all been touched with with the pandemic um, some states have been touched a lot more than others so you know uh, some children have really not been at school very much and other children have only missed a few weeks here and there you know across the country so, um, yeah, a range of different things. There's all of that range of trauma then too. There's a level of trauma um, that, that we all experience. And when there's trauma, whatever, whatever the cause is, whether it's um, because you know, parents are fighting because they've lost their job or someone's been sick and there's been you know, an illness in the family or, or whether it's just financial stress, whatever it might be, if there's trauma in the family, of course, in the, in the brain, there's a, an increased level of cortisol. And so that that creates foggy brain. We all do. We all have that because the brain gets that clou- gets clouded with with uh, cortisol, and we can't think properly. So that's why with um, children, it's it's so important in our classrooms to make sure that we give them a space that they have that sense of safety, that sense of security, so that they then can relax a little bit, so that they can learn. Because memory suffers when there's a high level of cortisol and thinking, decision-making, problem-solving, all of those things suffer. So if we can build uh, classrooms with smaller defined spaces, we, with soft furnishings, with, with lamps rather than lights, um, we, we can make it more home-like and, and only have a few children in, in these little spaces that are dotted around the rooms. It's, it feels to the children much safer. They feel more secure. Um, and that helps with this whole trauma idea and reducing the level of cortisol. It brings them down so that they can then be self-aware and they can manage their emotions and so can the teachers because the teachers are then calmer. Everybody's more settled. And, you know, my favourite saying that I mentioned to you before was that, um, you know, a calm brain is a thinking brain. And so that's what we need to try and promote. And if we set up our rooms well, the children benefit from it, but so do the teachers and so do the families because the children are much more settled. This is brilliant. It's like gold, golden stuff, this is, you know, because we're talking from the perspective of the child, but that's equally important when you get to adulthood as well. As you were talking, I'm reminded of whenever I had uh, took over any particular department in the police service I would have my office but I remember I always always would make sure that there would be a floor lamp in the office and there would be table lamps in the office and I never put the main light on in the office I always had my lamps on and if I were focusing uh, on any particular project uh, I would always make sure that there's some soft music playing and I still do that now I still have I prefer soft lighting to hard lighting. I prefer soft music mm. while I'm just focusing in on, on working. And I find it really does help. So I think what you've done is help me to understand why I, why I enjoy doing that. Mm. And it is to do with reducing those cortisol levels so that uh, you reduce that brain fog and increase the focus, isn't it? Well, the other thing too is, you know, as adults, we need the same things. 
so when we're thinking about offices and you know corporate buildings and you know you know how we structure our our offices for people to go to work in every day we need the same things all of our brains are the same we need the same things so we we need to have that sense of security and safety we need to have that emotional connection with where we are and what we're doing and then we can think and we we're calmer and you know everything goes a lot smoother so whilst my focus at the moment is classrooms I you know I really think this is this is just as relevant to office spaces and you know corporate buildings and all of us really and and as you're talking there um you know the language that you're using just reminds me of Abraham Maslow's uh, uh, hierarchy of basic human needs absolutely and if you think about what we've been through over the last two years, it is those basic human needs that have been impacted upon for so many. They may have been at self-actualization, but all of a sudden, almost overnight, they've come right back down to the very basic of, you know, the physiological needs around safety, security, maybe even food and water, which is why probably a lot of people ran into supermarkets, bought up toilet paper and bought up the clean the shelves of food, etc., etc. So people... People have these basic human needs and we need to be cognizant of the fact that they can shift in a 24-hour period if we're not careful. So we need to be aware of that when we're planning things in. And one of the fundamental elements of emotional intelligence is that level of self-awareness and self-management uh, and self-regulation. And um, and if you allow the emotions to run away with you, then you're going to struggle to self-regulate yourself effectively. That's right. And, and so with... Um the way that I advised educators to set their classrooms up, if if children are in, a, in smaller spaces, they feel less threatened. Um, they're more focused on their work and they can self-regulate their behaviours a lot more because there's not so much stimulus and they're not feeling threatened. And, you know, they, they can connect more with the people around them and have really good conversations and that builds that oral language. And, you know, any, every educator knows that oral language comes before reading and writing. So if we can offer children more opportunities to talk, um, and you know, when you think about those, those quiet little children that often just sort of slip under the radar too, um, if we can give them opportunities to shine because we, we set up the environment well, uh, I, think, I think our job is done. I think we've done, we've done well to support those children. But equally, those children that are more outgoing, giving them um, an opportunity to be in a space where they can focus on what they're doing as well. And even though they're more, they might be more outgoing, they won't be as distracted because they're in smaller spaces. So there's, there's a lot of things to help with that self-regulation in, in the design that I, I show people. And what I find absolutely wonderful and fascinating is how you've used the whole concept of emotional intelligence, taking it right down into the youngest of our society uh, and, and demonstrated how relevant it is at that level, as well as at the level where I operate, which is with senior leaders. Um, Catherine, I really do appreciate you being here. Just finally, if there's any parent listening or a grandparent listening and thinking about, uh, you know, their, their young children or their grandchildren, um, what advice would you give to them uh, as parents uh, in terms of raising the emotional intelligence of both their child and themselves in their interaction with their child? One of the biggest things that parents can do for their children is actively listen to them not just hear what they say, but actually stop and 
turn and get down to their level and make eye contact and actually listen to what to what children are saying so that children are feeling valued and feel children feel worthy um, and talk to them about how they're feeling like try and identify with the child um, what um, what emotion it is that they're feeling or if the child because sometimes children don't know how they feel they just they're just mad for some reason you know they're just cranky and they don't actually know what, what they're feeling. So sometimes it takes an adult to be to be able to say, "I can see that you're that you're upset. Is that because you know your toy just broke, or is that because your brother just pushed your bike over, or you know, you, you know?" And try and identify what the what the emotion is and talk it through. Mm. Um, and also for parents to model that too. When parents are feeling upset, they can, they can say to their child, "I'm feeling really frustrated at the moment because you won't get in the car." And it's making us late for school. And so identifying those emotions, I think, is, is a way of communicating with children and, and normalising uh, emotions, that we all have emotions. And then once we know what they are, then we can manage them, as, as you said, and we can self-regulate. Sage advice. And, uh, you know, in this episode, if there's one thing that I want you to take away, it's really understanding that, you know, when we go on and talk about EQ, emotional intelligence, it is not just in the context of leadership or just something that is reserved uh, for adults. This is a, it's a human thing. And this is why this podcast is called Human Centered Leadership, because in schools, our teachers are the greatest leaders that we can expect in schools and therefore for them to learn these leadership skills around emotional intelligence is is absolutely critical and it's actually you know uh, us investing in our future generations so dr Catherine murray really grateful that you were able to spend some time being with us i know it's late over in australia early over here in the uk i can't get used to these time <laughs> differences i really do appreciate it thank you for you sharing your wisdom and uh, I look forward to speaking to you again soon. My absolute pleasure, Colin. Thank you so much for the time and, and having this conversation. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.